to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. So we're in the middle of a sermon series called Beginnings. We're looking at the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Today we're going to wrestle with the story of the flood, Noah and the ark. But before we approach scripture, Let us go to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you reveal its contents to us, that you help us to understand, not only for our own knowledge, but that we may live as you have called us to live. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, the followers of Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have on my desk my favorite picture of my children. The three boys are standing shoulder to shoulder on the beach, arms outstretched, and our daughter, their sister, Danae, is lying across their arms. There's contentment on their faces. They're upholding their sister. It's a beautiful snapshot in time, and every time I look at it on my desk, I'm reminded of how blessed I am to call them my children, to have them call me dad. But let me tell you, the journey from birth to that moment in time, was anything but smooth. 
We had teenagers in our house for the better part of 20 years. Yes, there should be an award of some description. And even before the teenage years, even before they hit, it was not peace or calm by any stretch of the imagination. They would argue and fight beating on each other about what seat they were going to sit in, in the car, on the way to church. There's scribbling on the walls, there's scribbling on each other, there's arguments about food and mess and chaos, and I can't even count the number of times, more than one occasion for certain, that Cindy and I looked at each other at the end of the day and said, what were we thinking? What on earth? It didn't mean we didn't love them, but we really liked our life pre-children, It was great. I mean, we could go on dates. We kind of enjoyed each other's company. Just being home didn't mean that the house would be destroyed. It was all good. It might be surprising for those of us who were raised in the church to realize that God expressed very similar sentiments to Cindy and I. Our images of the flood story, Noah and the ark, tend to be things that we put on Sunday school classroom walls for little children, or maybe even in our own nurseries. Cute little depictions of Noah standing there with a staff, and couples of pairs of cute little animals smiling, and mostly blue sky, and big puffy clouds, and a beautiful rainbow over top. But the story of the flood It's not like that at all. It's very dark. It's painful. It's full of sense of regret. What we read in chapter 8 is the end of the flood story. At the beginning of the flood story, starts at chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Genesis 1 through 8 is basically an account of the evil, the vileness of humanity, largely of creation, and God's disgust. It says this, chapter 6, verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God regretted making humanity. Now, I don't know about you, but that raises for me a pretty significant theological question. If God is actually all-knowing, omniscient, did God not already know that this is how things were going to turn out? Was God surprised that things went this way? Did God know that was a possibility, but was hoping for something better? hoping it would be different. Preaching, sermons, don't allow for a deep dive into difficult theological questions like that. People have been asking questions similar to that about this text forever. We're not really in the space or place where we can break up into small groups and kind of talk about it amongst ourselves. So I'm just going to leave that question there for you to figure out. Maybe a future Sunday school class. You're welcome. Moving right along. So God was 
God was regretful. I was sorry the creation was even made. The next verse after that is said, it says, so the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created. I'm going to wipe them all out. Destroy it all. I am so sorry. I don't even want to deal with this anymore. In the following verse, right after that, it says this, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah found favor. It doesn't mean that Noah did anything special. It just means that for some unknown reason, Noah was blessed. Noah found favor. And so somewhere very early, very quickly after God decides to blot it all out, we see the first of several examples in Scripture of God's mind being changed, altered. And the writer just leaves it as a divine mystery as to why that would happen. God's mind is just changed. And so right there, where it says, Noah found favor, that's the end of that section of the story. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 8 are a complete standalone section of God's frustration with creation and Noah finding favor. Verse 9 begins what we know as the story of the flood. And it begins with the words, these are the descendants of Noah. That indicates to all readers, all writers, that this is something completely new and different. And it's only after this point that Noah is declared righteous. And righteousness has nothing to do with Noah's moral character. It has nothing to do with him being a good person. Righteousness, in fact, in the Hebrew context, actually means more like Noah was living in keeping with God's intended order. Noah was living as God intended humans to live. That's it. In fact, we know that Noah wasn't righteous in a moral sense because of our scripture reading today. Our scripture reading today comes after the flood, after God has blotted out everything else and everyone else, and only Noah and his family remain. What did it say? It said, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. The New Living Translation says it this way, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from their childhood. So nothing has changed ultimately, at least in terms of humanity and God. God is frustrated and annoyed and sorry that humans were created. God blots out most of them, retains Noah, keeps Noah and his family. God is still recognizing that they remain sinful, that they are going to be a constant source of pain and anguish for me. That's what we understand. That's what it's saying. And it's at this point in the scripture that God covenants. God creates a covenant with humanity, initially with Noah, but all humans thereafter. Actually, all of creation. God says, I will never wipe out. I will never use overpowering force to destroy the world, to transform, to change the world, to blot it out. What I will do from this point on is redeem it from inside out. God chooses at this point to bestow grace and mercy 
when judgment is anticipated and deserved. The flood story is a story of God's grace and mercy. The lengths that God chooses to go to redeem and restore in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the anguish, we read this and see that God chooses to live with our sin and the pain that that causes to the point of sending the son, the one to whom God was closest, sending the son to live as us and then be separated from the son, Jesus, on the cross in a way that had never occurred before. Incredible anguish, all for the purpose of redemption. So that's part of the questions. When we approach scripture, we want to ask a couple questions. Why was this included? And what was it the author was trying to convey? So it was included, I think, because it's the story of redemption. It explains some of why the world is the way it is and why we continue to to see brokenness and pain and heartache in a world. But it also demonstrates what God is doing about it rather than overpowering, rather than blotting us out, choosing to redeem through our hearts, through the power of the Spirit. Now on Monday, I don't want to really give her too much credit here, but I'm going to. Lindsay organized our staff retreat. And at the beginning of the staff retreat, we began with an exercise, a spiritual discipline called Lectio, Lectio Divina initially, Lectio Divina is a Latin word that means holy or divine reading. So we read the passage, which I read as part of our New Testament lesson, which is Acts chapter 9. It's a story of Saul's conversion, of seeing this, this vision of Jesus. And so we read it several times and reflected on it. And then we are presented with art that depicts the scene, famous paintings. And we looked at those and kind of, again, imagined what was going on in that scene, what was happening. And we concluded the exercise with writing, spending some time contemplating, thinking through what, what is the context, what is happening here, what is God saying to me by the power of the Spirit, what is God saying to me through the Scripture? And likely because I had been so immersed in the story of the flood, in preparation for this sermon, I saw a connection between those seemingly disparate biblical events that I'd never seen before. And actually, it opened my eyes to all of those events in Scripture and in my own life. And this is what I saw or understood for the first time. Anytime God enters the scene, it's disruptive. It causes chaos. The results are transformation, but its purpose is always redemptive. The flood account. God enters the scene, chooses to blot out everyone, everything. But God's mind is changed. 
but it disrupts whatever was going on. It disrupts the normal way of life. It disrupts Noah's life. Whatever Noah was doing, all of a sudden now he has to stop and build an ark and take his family onto this ark and gather all these animals. It's chaotic. It's chaotic for those who remain behind, left when the ark floated away. It's, it's chaotic for Noah, wondering what is happening. This has never happened before. It's transformative. It changes not only the way the world operates, it actually transforms the way God relates to the world from that point on. And its purpose is redemption. It's to restore, renew the relationship that God always desired between humanity and God. Story of Saul's conversion, same thing. Saul is on the road to Damascus. Saul is going, we call it, as Christians, persecuting the church. But what Paul was actually trying to do was purify his own faith. He was a Jew. And there were these crazy people, these followers of the way, who believed that in this Jesus character that was raised from the dead and that there was some new way. And Paul, Saul is like, no. And so he's going to arrest them and prevent the faith, the Jewish faith, from being defiled. And on that road, he gets a vision of Jesus. And he's disrupted. He has stopped in his tracks from doing what it was he intended to do. It causes total chaos. It totals ca- causes chaos right then and there. The people around him don't know what's happening. They hear a voice. They don't see anything. Saul is blind temporarily. It causes chaos shortly thereafter. With the church, now all of a sudden the church, who they, they fear Saul because they know he's been persecuting, now they have to handle this one who says, I'm a different man. It transforms Saul becoming Paul. It transformed the church and the communication that the church would have. No longer was it just this Jewish little sect. It would be explode into all parts of the Roman world. And ultimately here, To us, it transforms the world, and its purpose was redemptive. It was redeeming Paul, it was redeeming the church at that time, and it was meant to redeem and restore all of us into right relationship with God. Every time that God intervenes in Scripture, that is the same story. And I see it in my own life when I have opened myself up to allow God to really take a hold of me. It has been absolutely disruptive. I live in Roswell, don't I? It has caused some chaos. But it has transformed me and my relationships and who I am. And it has redeemed me to become more and more the person that God created me to be. So we had two questions. Why was the flood account actually included in scripture? And what was the intent or the message that the writer was trying to convey? I believe that the story of Noah and the ark is foundational. It happens right at the beginning. It's the lens through which we're to see and interpret and understand the rest of Scripture. It is God bestowing grace and mercy where judgment is anticipated and deserved. It demonstrates the lengths God will go 
to redeem and restore. It acknowledges that we are in the middle, the midst, the main culprits of God's displeasure, God's hurt and anguish and regret. We are the cause of it. But it's helping us to understand that God continues to work through the divine heart towards redemption. So that gives us answers to those questions. Why and what's the message? The final question to answer is for us. How will we respond? How will we open ourselves up to God's intervention in our own lives? How will we be part of the story of God's redemption of the world? Will we allow the disruption, the chaos, in order that we be transformed and redeemed? Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.